Ajnanatimirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurumiditam Yenatasmai Sigurave Namaha Ajanulambato Bujo Kanakavadato Sankitanayaka Pitaro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwambaro Dvijavaro Yugadharma Palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhutaro Sri Guru Parampara ki jai, Esi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhakti Rakshak Sri Dev Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada ki jai, Sri Sri Krishna Arjun ki jai, Bhau Premanandi. So today we will discuss the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita. The second chapter is more or less an aphoristic summary of the entire text, just as one one writes an essay, then one will give an introduction, and more or less what the essay is about will be contained in that introduction. And then to the essay there will also be a conclusion that kind of, again, summarizes and wraps up and reiterates what's been said. So we find this standard in Bhagavad Gita as well here in the second chapter, an aphoristic summary of all that the text contains is given. And in the 18th chapter, the conclusion is found. Krishna summarizes all that he has said thus far. So it's a long chapter, and it's divided into several sections. The first ten verses, there's some discussion. Sanjay introduces, and then there's some discussion between Krishna and Arjun. And this is followed by... The actual beginning of the Bhagavad Gita in which Krishna begins to speak in Upanishadic language about the nature of the soul. And that's a long section and perhaps there is no single book that speaks as elaborately and in such an accessible way as Bhagavad Gita about the nature of the soul. That is to say in the Upanishads, although such descriptions are given and as I mentioned, the description here of the soul is in rather Upanishadic language. Bhagavad Gita is still much more accessible than the Upanishads for the common person. It is considered an Upanishad because of the kind of language found in this chapter in terms of Krishna's describing the soul as well as some of the language in chapter 13. And therefore it's often called Gita Upanishad. The Upanishads are considered shruti, or that which has been spoken directly by the Lord and that which we are to hear. And so although Bhagavad Gita comes in the Mahabharata, history, itihasa, not in the shruti, still it is called Gita Upanishad and considered shruti because the Lord himself spoke it directly, Lord Krishna. Shruti is that which is directly spoken by the Lord. So we hear that the Upanishads are directly spoken, but if they are, then it's rather invisible how that takes place. The sages have penetrated to the realm of faith and drawn something down from there and tried to present it in the world of doubt as far as such can be expressed. This is the nature of the Shruti. But here Krishna is directly speaking in Bhagavad Gita about the nature of the truth. So 
is also Shruti, Gita Upanishad. The word Upanishad means to sit nearby, sit close. And the implication is so that I can tell you a secret, so that I can whisper something in your ear. Upanishads are the concluding portion of the Veda where the conclusion is given, the furthest implication of all of the Vedic literature, and it is knowledge about the soul. The greater balance of all of the Vedic literature deals with religious life in the world, which is, at best, the interest of most people, at least in our modern times. Previous times, in the so-called Vedic times, then life was religion, rather than religion being something that we might or might not tack on to our life. And when life is religion, then through the conducting of one's life under the jurisdiction of the scriptural canon, that is to say, bringing all of one's human activities, natural human activities, in touch with the divine by various rituals and observances that constitute acknowledgement of a superior controlling agency, then as the faith in the scriptural canon develops due to our human lives being more fruitful as a result of adherence to the scripture, with that increased faith in the efficacy of the Shastra, then we look more deeply within the text and we find that what it's really speaking about is not religious life in the world, but a life that first transcends the world and enables us to reach so high within the transcendence of the world that we can be fully functioning within the world without being implicated in it. So as I said the other day, it is about being fully human and fully spiritual. Yukta Vairagya. Nirbandha Krishna Sambande Yukta Vairagya Muchate. So after describing, as I said in Upanishadic language, something about the nature of the soul, and in effect ignoring, for the most part, the arguments of Arjun offered in chapter 1 as to why he shouldn't fight, which were based on consideration of Dharma, then Krishna, having taken the argument to a higher level, to the level of the soul, dismissing the arguments on the level of Dharma, he returns to answer Arjuna's questions also on the level of Dharma to some extent. And this is very practical because we cannot tell everybody everything at once, and if we do, we certainly can't expect everyone to function in terms of what we might have told them. So when Krishna waxes very philosophical and begins to speak about the nature of the soul, and the fact that the soul is a non-doer, and he slays not, nor is slain. This may be true, but may be a little hard to put into practice. But it's good that we hear, theoretically, about that which is beyond our present level of adhikar, eligibility, if we are indeed to go there in due course. In terms of our everyday spiritual practice, we are engaged in sadhana 
for the sake of sadhya. So, if we are to be successful in our sadhana, we should know theoretically what is the sadhya. Sadhya means goal, and sadhana means practice. If we go anywhere and hear from someone speaking about the spiritual path, we should ask this question, what is your sadhana and what is your sadhya? And we can understand the nature of what they are teaching. So for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, our sadhya is prem. Prem means love, Krishna prem. Not Krishna, but Krishna prem. Love of Krishna. We should know something about that prayojan tattva. That will be from two sides. We gain impetus for abhideya, for practice, sadhana. Abhideya is the means, how to practice. From one side, sambandha again. So, so much is given in terms of a conceptual orientation. What is what, who is who, how things fit together. What is maya, what is jiva, what is Bhagawan? what is the relationship between maya and jiva, maya and Bhagawan, jiva and Bhagawan, jiva and maya, and so forth. So much emphasis is given on this tattva, sambandha again, so that we can become conceptually oriented such that the natural and subsequent activity is the means by which we can attain the goal. So impetus from gathering some bandhagyan is required for engaging in sadhana. And we should engage in sadhana in such a way as to attain the sadhya, the fruit. So with great intensity, the bhajana kriya, should become nishta bhajana kriya, from anishta, unsteady, to nishta bhajana kriya, removing all anarthas, and some taste will come. We'll be safe on the positive side, attachment for Krishna will develop, and leaving sadhana to bhav bhakti. Our life has become successful for the most part, in as much as sudashatma visheshatma prema suryang susamyavak. Bhav is the ray of the sun of Prema. So from one side, we get impetus from Sambandagyan for executing the means, sadhana. And from other side, Prayojan Tattva, theoretical knowledge about the Prayojan. What is the goal? Both sides are there to fuel our sadhana, that we can be successful in actually attaining that goal. Theoretical knowledge of it is useful inasmuch as it serves to fuel our practice by which actual began, realized knowledge can be attained. Sometimes we may criticize theoretical knowing only, but it has its virtue. Only theoretical knowing, that is not very useful. But for the most part, theoretical knowing Knowledge of scripture, that is to say, is very helpful in terms of our making spiritual progress. So the goal, higher things have to be talked about tastefully. And we can know where we're going. And in a very basic sense, Krishna has talked to Arjun first in his opening speech of the Bhagavad Gita about the nature of the soul. Arjun's concerned about fighting or not fighting and what will become of the dynasty? What about offending the elders? 
who happened to be on the opposition, Drona and Bhishma and so forth. And in verse 1, more or less Krishna dismisses all of his arguments and then proceeds to chastise him. The Guru's business is not to pat us on the back. Sometimes we look for that only. We may be looking in the wrong place. But if that's all we get, then we're being cheated. If the Guru doesn't chastise us, then we should consider ourselves very unfortunate. You know the story of our Guru Maharaj Prabhupada, how he liked to say that when Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur chastised him, he felt himself very fortunate. He was sitting in the audience, large assembly, and Saraswati Thakur was giving the speech. And one godbrother of our Guru Maharaj tapped him on the shoulder and began to speak with him in the ear. And Saraswati Thakur stopped the whole speech. He pointed to our Guru Maharaj, Abhai Baba, as they used to call him, Abhai Charanadavinda Das, and he said, So, you think that you are qualified to sit here? The implication being, if not, then you should listen. And Prabhupada was so charmed by that. My Guru Maharaj has so much affection for me that in the middle of the whole assembly, even I was trying to listen, someone else was interrupting me and trying to distract me. Rather than to chastise that fellow, he chastised me. So concerned he was about me that I would pay attention and listen. And of course... We, his disciples, saw it as a foretelling of the future. Are you qualified to sit here? <laughs> and certainly he became so qualified to sit here on the seats and preach. So if Gurudev praises us, that may be nice, but if he chastises us, then we should not run away from that. If he's indifferent to us, then we should be concerned. If he becomes indifferent, then it means... He's given up hope. He doesn't listen. She doesn't listen. What can be done? Yes, okay. Do as you like. So we should avoid this. This should be our concern. Our healthy fear as a devotee is that my service is not being accepted. No one of any consequence cares about what I'm doing. So Arjun, Krishna chastises Arjun. Speak strongly to him smashes his arguments in one verse. In the first verse, Sanjay says, Tam tata pripaya vishtam ashrupunakulekshanam pshidantam idam bhakyam uvacham arusudana Actually, in the second verse, he begins to speak and chastises Arjun. But the nature of Arjun's depression, we ended the class yesterday discussing the depression of Arjun that gives rise to the name of that chapter, Vishada Yoga, the yoga of depression, sorrow. We spoke a little bit about that in the previous class. Here the symptoms of that sorrow are described. Kripayabhishtam ashru punakulekshanam vishidantamidam and vakyam uvachu madhusudanam. So Madhusudan spoke, addressed this depression of Arjun, symptoms of which are he's overcome with pity and tears are pouring down his downcast face in despair. And Madhusudan spoke. Sanjaya uses the name Madhusudan. The implication is that here Dhritarashtra, seeing Arjuna's condition at the end of the first chapter, he put down his bow. For Arjuna to put down his bow, that is a big thing. 
He's a warrior. It indicates he's extremely disturbed, and it appears as if, to Tritarastra, having heard this, that his son, Duryodhan, will take the kingdom by default. Arjun will not fight. He's going to leave. The influence of sacred Kurukshetra and the piety of Arjun doesn't allow him to stoop, let us say, Tritarastra's thinking, <laughs> to the level of my own son which is the level I'm on, whether he is acknowledging it or not, is another thing. As you know, there was much intrigue and duplicity involved in Duryodhana's camp, and it was looked at with a blind eye by Dhritarashtra, who was impassioned to have himself as the king, and that not being possible because of his condition, his son. The son is an extension of the father. The father is said to be born again as the son. So he turned a blind eye to the atrocities of Duryodhan. He wanted his son to be the king. And he's thinking here, he will be. Arjuna is so pious. And Kurukshetra, which is mentioned in the beginning, the first verse, Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra, as a pious place, and indeed it is, this combined influence of the piety of Arjuna and the sacred place of Kurukshetra, it was causing Arjuna to desist, and my son will become the king. By default, there will be no war. We mentioned yesterday, that Krishna speaking in Bhagavad Gita at Kurukshetra is the second time Krishna came to Kurukshetra. Now, later, at the end of his Leela, after more than 100 years, he's about to speak Bhagavad Gita. Previously, he came at about 50. Of course, all this is Jovana. After Kishore Leela, Krishna leaves Vrindavan and goes to Mathura and Dwarka. This is all his youthful Leela even up to 125 years of age, remaining youthful. After 50 years, he came to Kurukshetra, first time. We mentioned that. What was the implication of that? We did not elaborate. It is significant. There, Krishna met with all the inhabitants of Vrindavan and Gopis and Radhika in particular. They drew out from within him, Dwarkadish Krishna, the heart of Nandanandan Krishna. We know in Dwarka, from Brihat Bhagavatamrita, that in the night, at the night, in sleeping, Rukmini Devi hears Krishna calling out the names of Radha, Subal, Nanda, Dasoda, all of his dear most devotees of the Braj. They're worried. <laughs> How can they keep him there in Dwarka? His heart is in Vrindavan. He confessed this to the gopis at Kurukshetra when they wanted to take him back to Vrindavan. He said, come with me. They couldn't come. Krishna, tired as a prince, riding an elephant, they wanted to meet him in Vrindavan along the banks of the Jamuna, in Parakya Bhav, not in Swakya, Bhav of Dwarka. And Krishna said, yes, I will come. And before I do... In waiting for that, you should know my heart is always with you. He surrendered to gopis at that time. Such an extraordinary event took place at Kurukshetra that Bhaktivinoda Thakur has, in thinking about it, stated that Vrindavan is for shallow thinkers. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur mentioned this in one of his discourses, and Sridharmars was shocked as a disciple of Prabhupada Saraswati Thakur. What are you saying? Vrindavan, the highest place? is for shallow thinkers, 
And Thakur Bhakti, we know, desire to retire in Kurukshetra. Yes, Kurukshetra is pious, Dharmakshetra. Bhagavad Gita was spoken there. But Bhagavad Gita, as we've already discussed, is the ABCs of spiritual life. It emphasizes the basics, although the higher ideals are also there in a hidden way. It emphasizes the basics. So how can Kurukshetra be such that, in comparison, Vrindavan is considered shallow? <laughs> Very curious idea. So Saraswati Thakur explained that our ideal is Radhadasyam, to get the service of Sri Radha. Krishna is purchased by her love, and if we can render some small service to her, then we'll easily get Krishna's attention. This is like the express train. Prabhupada used to say many times, love me, love my dog. So it means that if someone has even a dog that's dear to him, and he himself is hard to approach, being, for example, a wealthy or influential person, but if you're able to render some service even to his dog, who has become dear to him, then you can get his attention. So what to speak of rendering service to that person whom is most dear to him? Krishna's attention is not very easy to get. I said earlier this morning we should do our sadhana with a view to attain the sadhya, prem, love of Krishna. But as we discussed the other day, not so easy. Krishna is absorbed in prem, lost in that, forgetting that he's God practically in Vrindavan. How can we get his attention with our prayers? Although he's lost to his sense of godhood, overcome by the love of his devotee's position, he is God, and his omniscience doesn't vanish. So we can draw that out through our prayers. He can hear us, but what kind of prayers and what kind of sadhana we must do to get his attention? Very serious. If we want Radha Dasyam, that kind of ideal, Vrindavan Bhakti, it is very high. But if we want that kind of attention of Krishna, this is the express route. So how we will render service to Radha, <laughs> then, that is also very difficult to conceive of. So Bhaktivedanta Thakur was thinking that in Kurukshedra, first time when Krishna was there, meeting with the inhabitants of Vrindavan during the solar eclipse, in private, while some socializing was going on, Krishna moved into the bushes and met with the gopis, invited them to come with him to Dwarka, be his queens. They said, we know nothing about that sophisticated life. We're gopis, cowherd girls. <laughs> How will we fare in Dwarka with princesses. We're not of that type. And we're not interested in you as a prince, but as a cowherd. Point is that Radha was so close to Krishna to again having union with Krishna, but she could not. Because he was dressed as a prince, the whole setting of Vrindavan was not there, which gives support to the whole parakya of Radha and Krishna, without that backdrop, that background and assisting players and so forth, without the resistance from Vatsalyaras that tries to keep Krishna at home at night and make things proper, without the friendly assistance from Subal's group of the cowherds 
and so forth, without the Jumuna, Gobardhan, could not experience that, what was their experience previously, but so close to Krishna. So therefore Bhaktivinoda Thakur concluded, so great is Radha's necessity at Kurukshetra. And if someone has great necessity, then by offering a little bit of service at that time, we can gain so much recognition. Water is an insignificant thing. If I said, you'd like some water? Yeah, uh, okay, maybe, maybe not. But if you're thirsty, if you're in a desert, then a little bit of water I bring you, you'll be so much grateful, so much you'll recognize and remember me. So the meeting of Radha and Krishna to Kurukshetra like a great desert. Radha's need is so great. Sridhar gave example like in football. If you come to the one-yard line and then you don't make the touchdown, oh, how great is one's despair. So Bhaktivinotaku reasoned, let me get a place at Kurukshetra and there I will have opportunity to render a little insignificant, what would otherwise seem insignificant service to Radhika, but I will get so much attention from that and draw down Krishna's attention thereby. So Kurukshetra is very, very sacred place in this regard. And Dhritarashtra was very wrong to think that the sacred influence of Kurukshetra and the piety of Arjun was such that at Kurukshetra Prema Dharma would not come out in the course of Arjun's embracing the instructions of Krishna and taking up the battle. Therefore he says, Idam Bhakyam Madhusudana. Yes, Arjun had some doubts, but Madhusudana is going to speak. And all of the doubts and all the reservations of Arjun will be destroyed. Just like Krishna, Madhusudan means who destroyed the Madhu demon. So the demons come in our mind, hold us back. Doubt causes some suspension. Shridamarsh used to like to say suspicion means suspension. So as much as we are suspicious and doubtful, we're suspended in our animation. We cannot go forward. Doubt in our mind so that our heart can come out. When the heart comes out and we live in the homeland of the heart, then we move freely. Vrindavan is not suspended animation. It is flowing like liquid. According to the desire of Krishna, everyone is moving, changing. In Shantarasa, form may change to satisfy the needs of Krishna. Stone may turn to water, water to stone. Tejo Bhagavatam says, with the playing of his flute, everything transforms as he expresses his desire from his heart through the sound of his flute. So in heartland, where the mind is closed down, if reasoning is to apply, is to have its application, it is only in terms of how to best serve Krishna at every moment, not whether or not I should serve. The Guru's business is to remove all doubt from the mind invoking the Shastra, logic, reasoning, and engaging the disciple in the means by which he or she can get some experience. A little bit of experience, a drop of experience, is worth much more than an ocean of theoretical knowledge. In fact, that's what's keeping us involved. We have a little bit of experience. Otherwise, if we had no experience, no matter how many books we read, we would not be solidified in our position as Kanishta Adhikari. Kanishta Adhikari has a kind of a derogative connotation to it, <laughs> but actually it is a very a major transformation in our life. 
if we can become from a no adhikar, having no eligibility to kanishta adhikar, basic beginning level for bhakti, we have gone so far. One time, Sridhar Maharaj said, if Bhaktivedanta Sami Maharaj, he is Paramhamsa. Madhav Maharaj, he was Madhu Madhikari. Bhakti Pramod Purigoswami Kanishtadikari. Now, he said that in terms of some particular external characteristics. Prabhupada, Aguru Maharaj, Bhaktivedanta Sami Maharaj was preaching so widely, such a big campaign, and speaking so much spontaneously about Krishna and without much attention to detail. He didn't have much time. Many things were perhaps neglected. And others, like Madhav Maharaj, more attentive to all the details, making sure everything that Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur wanted was in place. Prabhupada maybe neglected some of these things for the sake of quickly getting the mission going. So he was making some analysis like this. We consider them all Paramahamsas. And in the final analysis, Sridhar also considered the same. But he was just giving an example to look, by looking at external characteristics, we can make such a determination. And Puri Maharaj was always involved with deity worship. He established practically all the deities in Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur's mission. He was involved in the uh, installation ceremony. And deity worship is basically the realm of the Kanishtadikari preaching, Madhyamadikari, and extraordinary preaching, Uttamadikari, coming to Madhyamadikari for preaching. Anyway, it, uh, after some years, after the departure of Sridhar Maharaj from the world, then some of the followers of Sridhar Maharaj, who are a little fanatical for the successor Acharya's position, when some of the followers of Sridhar Maharaj went to Puri Goswami Maharaj to take sannyas, and further guidance, rather than to the successor of charge of Sridhar Maharaj, Shripad Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj. Then some of the fanatical followers in that successor camp of Sridhar Maharaj, amongst them, one of them made a criticism of Puri Goswami Maharaj. His position was, everyone should be coming to the successor Acharya of Sridhar Maharaj, not to anyone else. They've gone to Puri Maharaj, but people were going. So he invoked this, he said, Sridhar Maharaj said, Puri Maharaj is a Kanishtadikari. Oh, and then the disciples of Puri Maharaj became outraged. And they brought it to the attention of Puri Maharaj. They are saying that Sridhar Maharaj, who Puri Goswami Maharaj had such high regard for, that if you just mentioned his name, he would glow like the sun. They are saying that Sridhar Maharaj said, you are a Kanishtadikari. We cannot bear to hear this. Puri Maharaj perked up. He said, what? Sridhar Maharaj has given me some adhikar? Oh, very generous. If Sridhar Maharaj thinks I have some adhikar for bhakti, I've gone somewhere in my life. From this kind of a response, we can understand he is Uttamadhikari. <laughs> this is Uttamadhikari's response. So we want to do a little service, somehow or other, to great devotees who represent the Vrindavan camp. And their extraordinary thinking comes out to some extent in Bhaktivinoda Thakur's analysis of the sacredness of Kurukshetra, the necessity of Radha at that time. And from analyzing this, we are able to appreciate the full extent of the piety, the Dharmakshetra nature of Kurukshetra. 
that which Dhritarashtra could not fully understand. Sanjaya says, Bhakyam Uvacha Madhusudana. So Madhusudana began to speak. He would clear the doubts of Arjuna, allow his heart to come out, to move, that he can move freely. We are like ice, water frozen over. We want to become like water, melted from the words of our Gurudev. And by following them through spiritual practice, gain experience, little experience of real spiritual life, some beginning. He says, Madhusudan spoke. It means the doubts of Arjuna will be cleared and the erroneous thinking will be revealed. The sacred nature of Kurukshetra will bring out Prema Dharma in Krishna's words. Krishna will speak even of Braj Prem in Bhagavad Gita by the force of the influence of Kurukshetra and his previous experience there. So Sanjay introduces the chapter. Krishna speaks, Kutastha Kashmalam Idam Vishane Samupastita Manari Karum Arjuna in this verse, Krishna dismisses everything that Arjuna has argued in the previous chapter as to why he should not fight in one verse. Kutastva kashmalamidam. Again, as I said, first he chastises him. What is this? Where has your weakness of heart come from? And Anarya, Dushtam, Ashvargyam, says it's not Aryan-like, it's not noble. You spoke of nobility in the previous chapter in several verses, of winning kingdoms and being noble. and so. But what just, your reluctance to fight is Anaryam. You spoke of heaven and going there, and, but Asvargyam, the way you're conducting yourself, you'll never get to heaven. It's not heavenly. You spoke of having compassion, and for this reason not fighting, but actually your compassion is Kashmalam, it's weak-heartedness. It's not compassion that's strengthened by scriptural knowledge and proper understanding of what's what. So in an aphoristic way, all of the arguments that Arjuna has put forward thus far in the first chapter are dismissed by Krishna, who is spoken of here as Bhagavan, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Krishna begins to speak here, introductory speaking, before he begins to actually give the Upanishadic knowledge of the soul and take the argument to a higher level in Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavan, of course, is appropriate address for Krishna and more Sri, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. So in this edition of the Gita, we have rendered Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, the Lord of Sri, said. There is no meaning of Bhagavan without Sri. Without Sri, the Absolute is Brahman, without Shakti. With the manifestation of the Shakti, then the Lord becomes Bhagawan, and all Leela is possible. If we want to know about a person, how will we know? By analyzing their energy, their Shakti. In other words, a person has Shakti, and by that Shakti they are to be known, because by that Shakti they perform various activities. And through their activities we come to know about what they're all about. We say, oh, I know Swami, he's an author. He writes many books. Then you're talking about me by talking about my Shakti, by which I accomplish that. So if we want to know a person comprehensively, then we have to know their Shakti. So if we want to know Brahman, 
the Absolute, we have to know the Shakti of the Absolute. Sri Bhagavan Uracha. Sri means Radha, means the primal, internal Shakti of the Lord. Krishna has three basic Shakti, innumerable Shaktis, but three basic Shaktis. Sarup Shakti, Sri, Tatastha Shakti, all of us, and Maya Shakti. All of these are discussed in Bhagavad Gita. Wherever we see Sri Bhagavan Uracha, that internal Shakti is being talked about, by which this whole conversation is being conducted. Later in the fourth chapter, in the course of describing the descent of the Avatar, this internal Shakti is also formally introduced. Later in ninth chapter, Describing the characteristics, both internal and external, of the devotee, Daivim Prakriti Mashrita. Krishna again alludes to his internal energy, under whose auspicious and influence the Mahatmas are moving. Later in seventh chapter, he introduces the Tasta Shakti and Maya Shakti. Maya Shakti, its elemental constituents in a sutra form he describes. And Jeev Shakti also, Jeeva Bhutu Mahabaho in the next verse. Later in the 13th chapter, Chaitran Chaitragyam means Jiva, in one sense, Jiva in the field, the body, the Maya Shakti, that are described in greater detail. So we should know these three energies, understand them properly. We are Jeev Shakti, we are adaptable to Maya Shakti's influence, and Sarup Shakti's influence. If by good company we come under the influence of Sarup Shakti, then our life is perfect. Then we can function in Krishna Leela. So, Krishna is beginning to speak here, and he is introduced in this way. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. And as I say, in one verse he dismisses everything that Arjun says, and then... Another verse, Klaibim Asmagamaparta Naitatvai Upapadite Chudram Hridaya Durbalyam Tektvotishtaparantapa Therefore, O son of Prita, do not yield to impotency, for it is not becoming, O chastiser of enemies. Cast off this petty weakness of heart. Stand up and fight. Krishna reminds Arjuna of his family heritage, son of Prita this time, not like previously, he was reminding him of Kunti, now of his father, who was a great warrior, who was the father of Arjun, Indra. So you should fight. Cast off this petty weakness of heart. Stand up and fight. The implication is that material existence and all the arguments that arise, the doubts that arise from material existence are very superficial. Shiddhar Maharaj used to say that there are no roots to our material existence. Like moss has no roots. It can be swept away. That is why, as I said before, oftentimes the Guru speaks to us in ways that seem so generous. Because he sees beyond our conditioning. He sees that that has no roots. It's a small thing. Living in eternity, he sees it as a small thing. We are living in a finite conception. It's such a big thing, insurmountable. But he knows, by contact with bhakti, which is so great, so powerful, the smallness of our material conditioning, as big as it seems to us, it's small in comparison and will quickly go away. As I said, to become Konishtadikari is to have gone a long, long way. Of course, we don't want to remain there. We want to go on from there. But it's to have come so far, to have some our feet on the ground for spiritual practice. So here Krishna says, Klaibya Masmagamar Partha, 
He says, Trudrum Hrdaya Dubalyam. This is a weakness of heart. It should be brushed away as a small thing, he's saying to us. Arjun replies, Katam Bhishma Maham Sankir Dronam Chamanu Sudhana Ishubihi Pratayotsyami Pujaro Varisudhana O Madhusudan, Arisudan, killer of enemies, how can I fight with Bhishma and Drona? They worship a bull by me. How can I kill them? You are Madhusudana, Arisudana, killer of enemies, but you don't kill your friends. Your guru, your elders, and that's what you're asking me to do. So, due to his Chetri ego, Arjuna is trying to mount some resistance to Krishna's dismissal of every argument that he's put forward thus far in just one or two verses. But it's a little weak. And he caves in in the next verse. He tries to give a little bit of rebuttal, but then he, he actually admits, Krishna, what you're saying is right. A little more he goes forward here, trying to assert, well, uh, I had something to say. He's trying to bring his best argument here. In the previous verse, in this verse, well, there's Bhishma and Drona, how can I fight with them? So he goes a little further with it. Guru Nahatva Hi Mahanu Bhavan. They are my gurus. Again, the plural guru is used. Bande Gurun, we are discussing in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the plurality of gurus. We should become acquainted with this reality. Guru Nahatva Hi Mahanu Bhavan. It is better to live, he says, in this world, Shreyobhoktam Bhaiksham Api Haloke. Better to live by begging, he says. For a warrior to beg, this is unacceptable. But Arjuna is prepared to beg rather than fight, thinking it is so wrong to go against his superiors. He says, if they're killed, then all of our spoils will be tainted with blood. They are venerable. So, point is here, Arjuna is saying, even if they have some fault, they're on the wrong side. There's some room for that. Great persons may be eccentric. <laughs> it's possible. They're in human form, so there may be some eccentricity to them. We have to make some allowance for that. This is asked in Raspanchajai by Parikshit Maharaj. How can he who is the very prince of Dharma, the bridge of Dharma, Dharma Setu, Krishna, be engaged in what appears to be extramarital activities. How is it possible? What does Sukadev reply? He says, well, great people can do things that other people can't do. That's possible. That we should accept first. And secondly, you're complaining that he went with someone else's wives. But actually, he's the husband even of their husbands. Krishna. He's in everyone's heart. Everyone belongs to him. There's no impropriety here. From the point of view of Siddhanta, it is all Svakya. Everything belonging to Krishna. No impropriety. The mystic impropriety of Parakya, that is an illusion for the satisfaction of the Lord. And because it pleases the Lord, it is the height of Dharma and reality. The criterion of perfection of activity is that to the extent to which Hari is pleased. So because he's pleased by this, it must be reality, it must be dharma. So here he says, Mahanubhavan, He Mahanubhavan. From this we can get those who have power, Anubhav, like that of the destroyer, He. 
of the cold, maha. So adding he to maha, we get himaha, the sun. Poetically compared Bhishma and Drona to the sun, the implication is what? Like I said, great persons can do things sometimes that may seem out of the norm, but they have some license for that. Of course, we don't want to take this too far, obviously, but the idea is sun touches even the urine, and urine becomes purified. First, see that it's the sun. If he has extraordinary capacity and so forth, then what we see as a discrepancy may not be so. That may be only our angle of vision. Parashara had a union with a fisherman's daughter. How could it be? But the result was Vyas, so we have to think about that. Must be something extraordinary in the background. Krishna wanted something, and through Parashara he accomplished it in this way. So this is the kind of argument Arjuna is making. But it's a little feeble. It's a good argument, but actually Krishna has spoken so strong that Arjuna more or less caves in. And he says in the next verse, Nachaita dvidama kartaran nogariyo yad vajayema yadiva nadva nojayayu yaneva hatva nadjijiva samas I no longer know which is better, conquering or being conquered. If I kill the sons of Dhritarashtra who are standing before me, I shall not care to live. So he admits here, I don't know. I'm making this argument, but really I admit I don't know what's good for me or what's not good for me. So he's caving in, he's acknowledging, and he's coming to the point of surrendering to Krishna and accepting Krishna as his guru. Actually, we find in these few verses, and in the first chapter as well, that Arjuna has spoken outwardly in terms of desisting from fighting, but careful study of the text reveals that he has said many, many things that illustrate that he's actually very qualified to be a disciple. Madhusudan Saraswati sees the whole first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, the import of it being such that we are taught what are the characteristics the qualities appropriate for a disciple, for one who cares to approach the Guru, sit at the feet of the Guru. Well, this must be the case, because Arjuna is a great devotee, eternal associate of the Lord. So that he's put into a mystic illusion and seems bewildered. If we look carefully, we see his good qualities, his bhakti, and all of his good qualities peek out from underneath the illusory covering of ignorance that Krishna has put him underneath. Just like in Bhagavatam, we find with the help of Vishwana Chakvaritakura's commentaries, how Shishupal, who was actually one of the Jai Vijay from Vaikuntha, gatekeepers of Vaikuntha, in criticizing Krishna, actually glorifies him. So when we study the language, we can find the reality of Arjun peeking out from underneath the illusion created by Krishna for the sake of Bhagavad Gita's being spoken. Now here he begins to surrender, and in the next verse he says, Karpana dosho bhatasvabhava Oh, he surrenders. He accepts Krishna as his guru. Karpanya is an abstract form of Kripana. Kripana means to be a miser. One who leaves the world unable to depart from his possessions is considered to be a miser. So Arjuna doesn't want to be like that. Although he 
here approaches Krishna and asks to be his guru, Krishna doesn't immediately say, yes, I accept you. He waits. Arjuna has to speak another verse. Implied here is that Krishna responds to Arjuna, what do you need a guru for? You're very smart. You've got so many arguments that you've been posing. You're very intelligent, very learned. You know the Dharma. Arjuna has showed that he knows very much about Dharma. Actually implied in that is that he's qualified for Brahma Jignasu. He's passed through Dharma Jignasu. Inquiry about Dharma. Now he's qualified for Brahma Jignasu. So Krishna is resisting him a little bit. What do you need a guru for? Testing him. So guru should test the disciple. See the nature of his or her resolve to practice. Otherwise, what is the meaning of becoming a disciple if we have no interest in coming under the discipline? So implicitly he says here to Arjun, what's the need for having a guru? You've got such good reasoning, logical arguments. You know the scriptures so well. What will a guru do for you? If you want to overcome your distress, your vishada, then just fight. And what does Arjun say? No, even if I were to fight and gain a victory and have the entire earth or unrivaled kingdom, sovereignty in heaven, I don't see how I could remove my grief. It's drying up the power of my senses. So with force, he pushes himself forward. I want to be your disciple. Krishna will accept him. Sanjaya says, Evam uktva rishikesham guru kesha parantapadna yodseti govindam utvatusnim babuvaha. Sanjaya said, Oh, then guru kesh, said rishikesh. Oh, Govinda, I shall not fight, and fell silent. Implicitly here, Arjuna is really saying, I shall not fight, you shall fight through me. That is the idea of Bhagavad Gita. Although he's refusing to fight, apparently, externally, he's putting himself in Krishna's hands, nonetheless. He's surrendering to him. So unknowingly, having done that, having placed himself at the feet of his guru, Krishna, He's actually giving the purport of Bhagavad Gita. I shall not fight. I'm a non-doer. You are the real doer. And only through me, using me as an instrument, you shall fight and accomplish everything. Arjuna is described here as Gudakesh, conqueror of sleep. He puts himself in the hands of Rishikesh, who is the master of the senses and omniscient. And Govinda, Govinda also means Vindatigam, knower of the Vedas, source of the Vedas. So, Gudakesh, putting himself in the hands of Govinda, Rishikesh. The implication is, these are the words of Sanjaya, all of his ignorance, so sleep is compared to, will be removed just by this one stroke, putting himself fully at the shelter of Gurudev at his disposal. And so, now, after this brief introduction, Krishna actually begins to speak Bhagavad Gita, his discourse. This is a preface to that. Sanjaya says one more verse, Tamu Vachurishikesha Prahasyam Iva Bharata Sanayoru Bariyor Madde Vishidantam Midambacha. O king, to he who was sorrowful, smiling, Rishikesh spoke these words in the midst of both armies. So Arjuna, Krishna is smiling as he begins to speak Bhagavad Gita and instruct Arjuna about the soul. He's smiling because the Guru makes light of our problems. Because he sees the bigger picture of the solution. 
And also sometimes when the Guru introduces the topic, he speaks to us as if to say, you're almost there. You will go back to Godhead in no time. So he makes light, that is to say, of the situation of Arjun, his distress. He's smiling, but he's preparing to speak about very grave topics. And Gita Upanishad begins. Sri Bhagavan Vacha Asochan Anvasochan Stam Pragnavadam Stavasate Bhashase Katasu Nagatasu Cha Nanu Sochanti Pandita But he says, Asocham. So, A uh, requires that his smile is contracted. A. Uh, and he becomes very grave. Smile moves from his face as he begins to talk about the soul. Serious business. And even in his introduction to speak about the soul, A means first word of the alphabet. So here he begins the ABCs of spiritual life with the first letter of the alphabet, A. And A means God also. A is the most easily uttered sound. You can utter it in your sleep. A. It's also indication of the Lord. Krishna says what in Bhagavad Gita? Of syllables, I am A. Asochan. And this is whole Bhagavad Gita right here. Asochan anvasochastam. He says, you are lamenting about things that aren't worth lamenting about. Asochan anvasochastam pragnavadam srabhasase gatasum agatasum nanu sochanti pandita. So you should not lament. You're speaking learned words as if you're a pundit, but you're not acting like a pundit. You're lamenting. Lamentation is the business of sudras, not pundits. Only sudras lament. Pundits, learned people, know the solution and are not, a preoccup not preoccupied with lamenting about the problem, but take the solution and apply it. He says, you shouldn't be like this, a sudra, lamenting. You should be a learned person and stop lamenting. Don't worry. Jirasami says, this is the beginning of Bhagavad Gita and Sarvadharman Pritya Jamami Kam Sharanam Braja. Ahumtum Sarvapapavyu Moksha Ishami Masucha. Masucha is the end of the Bhagavad Gita. Beginning and end correspond, as I said earlier. Introduction and conclusion have some correspondence. By studying both, we can know the whole message of a book. So by putting these two verses together, Jiva Goswami says, here is the whole Bhagavad Gita. Don't worry. Don't worry. Put your hands up in the air, Hare Krishna. No more worries. Chant Hare Krishna. Leave it in Krishna's hands. Do His work. Don't do what comes from your own head, your own mind. Work under Krishna's direction. So here Krishna chastises Arjuna a little bit more and begins to deliver his speech. After speaking about the soul, he then addresses the arguments of Dharma and then he speaks about yoga, action and knowledge, combining the two. A very major point in the first six chapters he introduces, and then he speaks about the nature of self-realized souls before he enters into the third chapter. So we'll stop there. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, Sri Sri Krishna Arjun ki jai, Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Lesi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhakti Rakshak Siddhartha Goswami Maharaj ki jai, Bhakti Siddhartha Sarasri Thakur Prabhupada ki jai. Go Premanandi!